And I don't want to start this morning by causing division, but the question I want to pose this morning just might do that. And I know we've had a lot of division on the news, but who here would say that you are a dog person over a cat person? Good. And so the rest of you like cat more than dog or you just don't care about animals whatsoever, maybe. I don't know. Um, so for my dog lovers, why, why do you prefer a dog over a cat? I've got my reasons, but I want to know if I'm sane or not. So why, for, if you raise your hand, I like dogs more than cats. Why? why? Yes, sir. Cats are mean. Cats are mean. Yeah. All right. Cats are mean. Yes, yeah, Sam. Dogs are obedient while cats are just... Yeah, yeah. If you really want me, you'll come to me, right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you got to love that about dogs. They, they do show their love. Now, I, I prefer dogs over cats. Um, Abby has tried for us to bring home a cat every time she sees one of those signs when you pull into a store it says free kittens. Um, I remind her there's a reason they give them away for free. Um, I, I, I've had two cats in my 41 years of life on this earth that I would consider my own. Uh, one when I was little and I guess that cat went off and found a girlfriend and never came back. And then the other one we had when Jamie and I were uh, married before we had kids, and we kind of lived out on a little farm area. So it was like a farm cat, which I didn't mind that one at all because it just like was out killing stuff, and it would bring those offerings to you um, and like showing their support for you, I guess. But that cat got pregnant and then left to hide the kittens, which I was fine with that as well because I didn't want to be the person at Walmart with a sign, free kittens. Um, but I, I love dogs more than cats. Honestly... I could do without pets. Um, I it just, I, I'm one of those that when I want to go somewhere, I don't want to have to, you know, what am I going to do with the dog? And, uh, or where are we going to, who's going to watch them? And we have very loving family helped us. Thank you very much to watch our little, our little puppies. We own two miniature dachshunds and I love things about dogs that you all love about dogs. Um, I love the fact that when Jamie and I go for a walk just around our neighborhood, even though we're only gone for about 30 minutes or so, when we come home, it's like we were gone forever for the dogs. I mean, they're like at the door, they're wagging their tail, they got smiles on their faces. And I guess I just need that, right? I need to know this thing that I am providing for actually enjoys my presence, uh, enjoys me being around. Um, and dogs can be obedient. Uh, I know you can train cats. Um, I've seen it done before. But dogs, maybe it's because they're just stupid, I don't know. But dogs, you, you can train them really easy with food. And so we've trained our dogs how to shake and how to sit and how to stay and, and you know, go outside to go to the restroom. And our, our littlest dog, Charlie, we've trained her to go to a crate at the sound of opening up the cookie jar. Um, she will just, you open that thing up and she'll take off for her crate and we put her in there. And so that's where she is right now. And, um, but when it comes to cats, I just don't know. I, I feel like they mock me. Um, like, so I'm driving a car. You ever drive a car and a cat's just laying in the road and it doesn't move? I speed up. I mean, don't call Pete on me. I've never hit a cat yet, but I speed up because I want that cat to know that they are not in charge of this particular section of road. Um, and just when you think a cat loves you and they're looking at you and they're doing that cool, they do that cool motor. I think that's awesome. But just when you think they love you, they take a swipe at you or they bite you. And so I just don't, 
I just don't deal with cats. I just don't like them. Um, the main thing that comes with dogs, I think Sam hit on it, was obedience. You can train a dog pretty easily to be obedience, obedient through food. And the only reason I bring up this divisive conversation we're having, but see how we had a conversation about two different things and we got through it okay? It's possible to be divided and still get along. Um, we're, we're focusing on obedience today in our series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And, and we're going to see it in our text. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 21 here in a second. I know when I tend to hear of obedience and church and Christianity and scriptures, you know, I, I sometimes cringe when someone says, be obedient to God. I want to like follow with like, don't, 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 you know. But when it comes to Christianity, that is in fact what we are submitting to. John MacArthur writes that we are told to obey him being Jesus without question and follow him without complaint. Jesus is our master. And if we were to go to Scripture and allow Scripture to define what a Christian is and what Christianity is, Scripture defines a Christian. So if I say I'm a Christian, I'm saying I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am submitting to His rule and His leadership of my life, and He is guiding me. I am being obedient to His authority. And so in our passage this morning, we're going to see the calling of obedience in our life, the results of such obedience, but also the difficulties in being obedient to God, but then finally the reason. So let's read our passage, and, and we'll see how this plays out. Beginning in verse 21, Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2. And the Word of the Lord says, At the end of eight days, when he, that's little baby Jesus, he was called Jesus and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. <clears throat> and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this, was, this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ, by the way, means Messiah, anointed one. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And that, that's a hard Greek reading. It could also mean for 84 years she lived at a widow, as a widow. Um, Anyway, going on. She did not depart from the temple and worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to Him of, 
uh, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of, it, of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day and for your word. I thank you for how your word challenges us, how it builds us up and strengthens us, how it brings us peace in the midst of a world that just seems to have gone mad. But Lord, we know that this creation, your creation, is under your authority. You are the God of the heavens and the earth. And so nothing is happening that you have not allowed to happen. So Father, help us to see your authority not only in this world, but in our lives this morning, that we may live underneath it. We may reveal it to this world who desperately needs you. Thank you for that revelation, Father, that what we're seeing is a world that is crying out to know a God who loves them. So we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of peace. You are a God of power. And we come before you to your throne room of grace that we might receive more grace, that we might hear your voice speaking to our hearts, not a pastor or a preacher, Father, but your spirit speaking. So make our hearts receptive to hear what you have to say. Give us ears to hear your voice and eyes to see your truth. I thank you for what's going to happen here this morning. I thank you for everyone who is here. I thank you for your presence. And pray us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing we see in this text is something we've already stated in that God calls for obedience. Our text this morning, beginning in verse 21, running through verse 40, is filled with individuals being obedient to the law or the word of God. Beginning in verse uh, 21, at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus. Now, why did they call his name Jesus? That's what the angel told him to call him, because that's what God told the angel to tell them to call him. So they're being obedient to what God had spoken over them. Verse 22, it says that they fulfilled the law, uh, they brought the purification according to the law of Moses. In verse 23, they presented him, Jesus, to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, they to do for him according to the custom of the law. Verse 29, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. This is Simeon speaking, according to your word, according to what you have promised or spoken. We go to the end of our passage in verse uh, 39, and that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. The driving force of this partic these particular verses is the law of the Lord. It is the word of God. The people here are driven by God's word spoken over them. Even Anna, who comes to the temple to worship and fast and pray, how would Anna know that it was at the temple to which she was to worship God and to fast there and to pray if God had not spoken that already in the Old Testament so she would know where she should be in worshiping God? As a Christian, the terms of our salvation are this. We call upon Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. The word Lord there that Paul uses in Romans chapter 10 means that we are saying Jesus is our Master. The implications of Christianity is that I am going to submit to the triune God's authority. I'm submitting to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so the terms of God's Lordship 
and His authority and our obedience to it is found in this beautiful book that we know as God's Word. The Bible is not just a book that we gather to read. It's not even a book we gather to study. The Bible is a book that we as God's people are saying we are going to submit to everything in this and we're going to be obedient to it. Now there's a danger when we talk about obedience and talk about submission because what we can tend to do is we go to a level called legalism. Legalism is the act of man trying to prove themselves to God or to earn God's favor. And so we all can become tempted to fall into legalism because what we do is we try to make rules about do's and don'ts. For example, when I grew up, my mom always told me, you do not wear shorts to church on Sunday. That was a rule. And I think I, I interrupted or eavesdropped on a conversation about someone talking about not bringing food past a certain line into the sanctuary of the worship hall. Do you remember a time where you couldn't bring coffee into a worship hall? You don't have food in there. That place is holy. That place that you don't run in church. I remember that one. You don't run in church because that's, that's the devil's work, running. <laughs> but we've made up our own rules of do's and don'ts. And some people still today believe that you should dress a certain way when you go to church. And that's fine. That's fine as long as it's not the outer appearance that we're really worried about. But see, what we can do is we like to make up our rules of do's and don'ts. I mean, how many of y'all grew up knowing the rules? You don't drink, you don't cuss, you don't play cards, and you don't dance. Right? Because that's, that's the devil's work. But I love playing Uno and Phase 10 and other card games, and so God made everything. But see, what we like to do is we like to, if we can make our own set of rules then we can promote our own type of righteousness. And that's the danger because the greatest Christian, the most devout Christian, can be in danger of coming to legalism because then we can manipulate God's law to how we want it to be and how we think others should even be living it out. But that's not what the Bible allows us to do. We don't get to define God's terms of submission obedience. When we do that, we are simply creating our own God. We've created an idol. When we come to Scripture, we don't get to define what obedience or disobedience is according to God's Word. If we want to know what God wants us to do or not wants to do, we should start at the Ten Commandments. And after you've read the Ten Commandments, you, go, you should go to Matthew chapter 5 and see how Jesus expounded the true meaning of the Ten Commandments. That it's not just the act of killing somebody, but that if I get angry with someone in my heart, I've committed the act of murder in my heart. It's not the, the physical act of adultery, but if I've thought about someone in a lustful way, I've committed the act of adultery in my heart. And so what we see is that even the, most, the, the, even the, the greatest measures we can take become futile when we compare them to God's holy law and His holy word. But when I decide I'm going to make up my own rules, I'm telling God I don't really need Jesus. When I define what is righteous and what isn't righteous, I'm saying that I don't believe Jesus actually fulfilled the holy righteousness of God. He didn't actually fulfill the law. But I look at the law of God and I look how Jesus said, and I say, I find out that I can't even do that on my best day. The Word of God does not support legalism. Again, legalism is me trying to prove myself to God or, or to show that I actually deserve God's favor and God's grace and God's salvation. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus took on the Pharisees 
and their legalistic practices by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He says this in Matthew chapter 15. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If we read through Paul's letters, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, we see Paul over and over again uh, emphasizing the saving work of God through Jesus Christ, found by the grace of God and through the faith of men in Christ alone. And James didn't contradict these teachings when he wrote, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Rather, what James does is re-emphasizes Jesus' teaching and what Paul wrote, that faith in God and His Word is meant to lead to faith-filled obedience. And so whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, we cannot miss the fact that God is calling us, His people, to obey and submit to His authority as revealed through His Word. If you look in the Old Testament, God brings His people out of Egypt and He delivers the law to them. Does anybody know what the very next thing God does after He delivers the law to His people, what He gives them? The sacrificial system. Because God knew that His laws, even the Ten Commandments, could not be lived out by us as sinful people. We have a sinful nature. So he knows that. So he delivers a sacrificial system so that when the people fall short of his holy standard, his laws, they can be restored back in the relationship with him. Now we jump into the New Testament. Jesus completely fulfilled the law of God, the holy requirements of God, so he might become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's why we say it's by faith in Christ alone. He did what we could not do even in our best day and so I place my faith in what his completed work was and I may have salvation and forgiveness for all of my sins and so it's not about me proving myself to God it's what Jesus already did in my place I'm saved and I'm forgiven and I've been given grace and this is the contradiction because Jesus was grace and truth and so we are to imitate grace and truth but a lot of times we can go completely opposite of legalism. Well, you know, saved by grace, once saved, always saved. But grace is not a permit to continue to live in sin. And Paul was given this understanding when he wrote to the believers in Rome. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Meaning if I sin more, that means grace becomes more. And Paul says, by no means. That by no means in Greek means don't be ridiculous. Paul is basically writing that is the dumbest line of thought you could ever have that's that's absolutely absurd he says how can we who have died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life and the living out obedience to God's word is because we understand Christ's sacrifice on the cross. By our obedience, we are saying that sacrifice has significance. And so I submit to the word of God. And we become obedient because we are simply responding to God's love for us that we have found in Jesus Christ. So our obedience isn't so we can prove to God, we're worthy of salvation. But our obedience is the representation that we, in fact, love God. When you read in the Bible, love and obedience are synonymous. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
That word keep means you will guard them, you will observe them, you will obey them. came across this quote last, this last week. It said, love is the root, obedience is the fruit. Our lack of obedience actually shows our lack of love for God. And our desire to be obedient shows our love for God. So when I say love God, love people, it begins with loving God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means I'm going to be obedient to God because I know God loves me. Mary, Joseph, and Simeon in our passage, and Anna as well, reveal another thing about obedience, is that we are to be known by our obedience. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be circumcised according to the law of circumcision given in Genesis chapter 17, 21, and Leviticus 12. The purification spoken in verse 22 concerns Mary, though the wording says their purification and is speaking of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus as one family unit. See, Mary, being obedient to the law, actually impacted the family as a whole. Mary was obedient to the law given in Leviticus chapter 12 concerning the purification of women after they had had a child. The redemption and the consecration of Jesus Christ in verse 23 speak of the law given in Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. Simeon only knew to go to the temple. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is what guided him, and he only knew who Jesus was. Why? Because God said it was going to happen. God spoke over Simeon's life. Anna sought God at the temple through fasting and prayer because that's what God commanded in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. Mary and Joseph became known by their obedience to God's word. Simeon had it revealed. Anna waited for it. We are known by our obedience to God because it is through our obedience to which we are marked and guided by God as his people. A couple weeks ago, my, uh, my in-laws, Jamie's folks, uh, broke quarantine really for the first time. Uh, my, my granny passed away. Some of y'all knew that a couple weeks ago. And so we... Um, the funeral service were in Russellville, Missouri, and Jamie's folks live in California, Missouri. And so we asked if we could come stay with them. And this was going to be like a huge ask because the last time we saw them, they kept six feet of distance and they, made, they had masks on. And uh, I thought they were crazy. But anyway, um, don't tell Jamie I said that about her folks. Okay, guys, come on. <laughs> um, but anyway, they say, yeah, come on over and, and we'll, you can stay the night with us and that way we can just drive back and forth from the visitation and the funeral and, and not have to go to a hotel or worry about any other things. And, um, so as we're there, if you all know Abby, uh, my daughter, our daughter, um, and she's very much a talker. Um, I mean, she, it's like she can't stand silence, so she just talks. I mean, she, she'll go swimming at Richard and Sarah's house, and she doesn't swim much of the time. She's just in the pool hopping around talking with Jamie, who's sitting on the side. I mean, but that's her view of swimming. Um, she gets that from Jamie's dad. Jamie's dad is a conversator. I mean, he has never met someone he does not know. And even if he really does not know them, he will know them within 10 minutes. He's just one of those types of people that, oh, well, you know so-and-so, or you've been so-and-so, and, -so, and all, of, all of a sudden they have a, a common ground and a connection. So we're at their house, and I already know that I'm going to hear Because if you're anybody a conversator, like you can just talk. So you know that you tell the same stories over and over again, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're aware of it, because we all are aware of it. Because <laughs> Richard's like, what? <laughs> but uh, So I already knew I was going to hear some stories that I've heard before. I've just gotten used to it over the, the time I've been married to Jamie. But we're sitting there, and... And we just got back from Russell from the visitation. And so his one conversation came up is, so what road did you take? 
you know, did you take A, did you take B, did you take, you go down here and turn left, and, and I was like, oh, pff, I, I don't, I, I didn't know what to say, and he kept, he's, conversators keep going until they get something in response, and so I, snarky son-in-law, just pulled out my phone, I said, I did what the British lady told me to do on my phone, and, because uh, the GPS, she's British on my phone, I don't know if she is on yours, and uh, his comment to that was that, you know, I, we follow GPS too, but I always, every time we go on a trip, I pull out a map and I want to I want to go through it because there are times where I've noticed the GPS wants me to go one way when I know another way would be better. And I've had that too. Anybody had that where you kind of have an idea where you're going and GPS wants you you're like that doesn't make sense at all. And um, and so he was telling me that there's one way you could do it, another way you could do it. And when it comes to obedience to God, it, it kind of brought home this point that there are always two opposing forces when it comes to our obedience to God. And I don't know what the voices in your head sound like. Maybe it is sound like in a British accent. I don't know what your voices sound like. Sometimes mine's like Sean Connery in my head. But um, there are two opposing forces that are trying to get us to go in two opposite directions. One force is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit within us. The other force is the ways of this world in the views of this world. And what we must have a conviction in our obedience to God is that God's word will never steer us wrong. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be an easy road. You see, one thing I've learned about God's word is God's word doesn't allow us to take detours. God sees bumpy roads ahead, and he's like, we're going straight. We've got to go through that storm. And so we be obedient to God, and sometimes we cry out to God in the midst of it. But Jesus promised us that this is going to be a straight and narrow road, and very few are going to find it. And the only way we know we're going to be on the right road is if I'm listening to this word and not the other words that are out there. And I, and I hear people and see people in the news, and I see so much frustration in this world. And that's because people are listening to the wrong voice. They're submitting to the wrong thing. But we see that God's word is what brought Mary and Joseph to the temple on that day. It is God's word that brought Simeon on the very day that Mary and Joseph showed up. It was God's word which brought Anna on the very same day. And so what we see is this beautiful thing. Obedience to God prepares us for the things of God. When I am obedient to his word, it prepares me for what God wants to do in my life so that I can see it. Can you imagine being the parents of the Son of God? Man, whew, I thought being a parent to my own kids was tough. But I wonder if there's a, a, a temptation to have a sense of pride. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, as a dad, I've, yeah, God commissioned me to be the father of his son. <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, righteous, blameless, you know. If Mary and Joseph ever had a temptation to become prideful about the commissioning that God had given them in life and what they were being obedient to, when they showed up at this temple on this day, that would have totally been obliterated. Did you notice the type of offering they had, they had to give for the purification rite? A pair of pigeons and two turtle doves. Now, if we go back in the Old Testament, we see in Leviticus that the proper offering for purification rites was a lamb. But God understood not everybody was going to be able to afford a lamb. And so God said, if you are not able to afford a lamb, then you can bring a pair of pigeons or two turtle doves. So what 
Mary and Joseph are bringing in this moment is an offering of poor. They were living modest and humble and in poverty. They could only give what they were able to give. See, when it comes to our obedience, it's not the amount, it's not the level, it's the heart. During Jesus' ministry, he was with his disciples at the temple one day, and they were sitting outside the treasury, and people were coming and bringing their offerings, and rich people were throwing in their offerings. I imagine I was making a ton of noise. But then this poor widow walks up, and she throws in two copper coins. And in doing so, Jesus commended the poor widow's offering. He went on to say that she put in more, for they contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live, in, live on. See, obedience is eternally tied to our love for God and not our love for this world. And it isn't the level of obedience. There's like, we don't level up in obedience. It's the heart. It's the heart in us that drives us to be obedient. We don't know much about Simeon. He could have been old. He could have been young. Just because the fact that he said that he was now ready to be dismissed or he's now ready to die in peace doesn't mean that he was old. He just came to the fact that I have seen everything that God has spoken over me and I can die peacefully now. I can leave this place. But Luke does tell us he was righteous and devout and he was waiting on the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him there in verse 25. Which means that Simeon spent his entire life carefully observing the law of God and eagerly awaiting for God's word to be fulfilled in his life. That word consolation means rescue and comfort. So we have this man who's waiting in anticipation and in expectation in faithful obedience to God's word. And it was the word of God which allowed Simeon to be prepared for the things of God that he was doing in his life. Anna is the same way. She spent the majority of her life as a widow. But we don't find her wallowing in her loss. Instead, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna was seeking after God, which she only knew to do because God said, this is how you seek after me. You humble yourself before me. You seek after me through prayer. In doing so, she was the fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy. She was the first one. Her heart was in a place to worship God because she was being obedient to God. She was ready for what God was wanting to do and was doing. It is our obedience to God which prepares us for the things of God. When I get into God's Word, I allow God's Word to lead me and guide me, and then it opens my eyes to see this world through God's perspective. And that's what we have to do as God's people. Because we are going to be tempted to fall into the dividing lines that are being drawn right now. But instead, I see the world through God's perspective. When you look at the news, you see people frustrated. They're rioting. They're protesting. They're damaging things. And here's the reason why. They're looking for love in the wrong places. Like that old country song. They're looking for love in the wrong places. And I can only find love when I submit to God's love for me. We cannot find love anywhere but through God's word in obedience to his word. We also learn in this passage that obedience doesn't mean easy. Mary and Joseph were obedient to God's spoken word, which led to a life of poverty and a life of being an outcast within their society. Anna waited the majority of her life to see the redemption of Israel. Anna was a widow most of her life. The writing of Luke doesn't mention her having any children. She may have, but Luke probably would have put that in there. And so for seven years she was married. For the majority of her life she went as a widow in a society that looked highly upon being married and having children. She didn't live an easy life. Life was hard. It probably wasn't the way she originally thought it should go. 
When Simeon blessed Mary with the understanding of who Mary was and Mary was being obedient to God, Simeon told Mary that she was going to experience great sorrow for who her son was and how people were going to respond to him. That's what verse 35 means. A sword will pierce through your soul also. See, some of us believe if I'm obedient to God, if I just do what God tells me to do, then I'm going to win God's favor upon my life. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, God's favor is already on you. But then we say, well, if I just do this, if I just do it, work a little bit harder, if I'm just at church every time the doors are open, and that's awesome if you are, if it's coming from a heart of obedience and a heart of love for God. But if we are doing these things because we're hoping that God is going to shower material blessings upon us in our obedience, then we're going to be greatly disappointed and greatly frustrated. Jesus said this, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul instructed the believers in Galatia, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If, why would we grow weary? Why would we give up if, if I'm obedient to God, if, if he was going to just shower me with material blessings? Because that is not in Scripture. And yet there's pastors out there, false pastors, false preachers, that preach that very word. We used to do the right things, and good things will happen to you. Every day is Friday. Tune those people out. God's Word and living under God's authority while living in this world is always going to be at odds. It's always going to create conflict. And so in obedience to God's Word has to have a willing heart to endure long-suffering. Endurance is the key, not material blessing. Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, By your endurance you will gain your lives. When Paul wrote about justification by faith alone in Christ alone in Romans chapter 5, he goes on to write in the very next sentence, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James opens his book, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you have a big bank account. Eh, wrong. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter says, in this you rejoice that you have a new car. No, though for now, you, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why all the testing? Why all the enduring? Why all the calling and commanding to remain steadfast if obedience leads to material blessings, worldly treasures? Because it doesn't. That's not the purpose of obedience. We wait not for earthly treasures in our obedience, but for the eternal ones. The ones which are be storing up in heaven which moth and dust cannot destroy, and thieves cannot steal. But if the reason that I'm going to be obedient to God, the reason I'm going to go to church, the reason I'm going to read God's Word and memorize God's Word, or the reason I'm going to tithe, because I know God will bless me 
materially, if that's the reason we're doing it, you're going to be just as frustrated as the people are in this world. Because that's not the point. A.W. Tozer wrote that our Lord told his disciples that love and obedience were organically united, that the keeping of his sayings would prove that we loved him, and the failure or refusal to keep them would prove that we did not. The final test of love is obedience, not sweet emotions, not willingness to sacrifice, not zeal, but obedience to the commandments of Christ. Our obedience and love for God is the evidence that we love God and He loves us and we know that. But at times in our beings, it's going to go against every fiber of our inner being. Our sinful nature is going to go against it. There are going to be people in our life when we're obedient to God's Word, they're not going to understand it. They're going to shake your head. And so sometimes we need, why? Why would I do that? The psalmist struggled a lot with that. You know, the righteous seem to fall and the wicked seem to rise. God, why would I be obedient to that if, if I see this going on in the world? If I see people getting away with stuff that I know is not according to your holy law, why would I submit to that? So sometimes we need a little motivation. And it's because Jesus' obedience came at a heavy cost. Verse 35, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When Simeon spoke over Mary and Jesus in this moment, he says, some are going to rise and some are going to fall. There's going to be some hearts who are going to accept Jesus Christ for who He is, and so they're going to rise. And there are some hearts who are going to oppose Him, and they're going to fall. This is the epitome of Jesus' ministry. As we go through this series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, this is what we're going to see. Some are rising and acknowledging Jesus for who He is, and some are falling and opposing Jesus for who He is. Jesus came to reveal the hearts of men by their allegiance or opposition to Him. He was destined to have followers that would speak for Him, and He was destined to have enemies that would speak against Him. This is how John's Gospel begins. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Yet, Despite being rejected by the very people that Jesus Christ came to save, he remained obedient to the mission to which God gave him. He lived a perfect life according to the law of the Lord. He became a perfect, righteous sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of this world on the cross. He died the cost and the wage of sin is death. He died. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose again, showing that he fulfilled the complete law of God. So when I place my faith in him and we place our faith in him, I am now deemed by the perfect, complete, holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not by anything I've done to deserve it. Simply because I've accepted God's love for me. And now that I've accepted God's love for me, I want to respond in obedience to that love. That's our drive to be obedience. Because Jesus went through such a heavy cost that we could be saved and forgiven, I now want to follow Him as a Christian. So our obedience drives us to bring glory to the risen Christ. And in our obedience, we glorify the God who sits upon His throne. Returning back to Tozer, he says, Truth cannot aid us until we become participators in it. And what that means is that I can believe that this is truth, I can read it, I can study it, but until it actually becomes alive and active in my life, I haven't really accepted it. Until I become obedient and submit 
to God's spoken word, I haven't really accepted it as truth. It's just a book of really cool stories and good thoughts. And if I did that, I'd be a good moral person. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to be holy and righteous and to live separated from this world. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have begun as a participant in truth by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus is the truth. But the question for us this morning, is there something in our life we're not being obedient to God about? It may be something to stop or maybe something to start, but we're just not being obedient about it. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a participant in the truth by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord, Master, and Savior. The Bible says that all of us sin. To sin means <laughs> I don't do what God tells me to do. I'm disobedient. I'm rebellious. And God knows that about me. Praise the Lord. He knows me and He knows you better than you know yourself. And that's why He sent His Son Jesus to live the perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again that we can be completely forgiven. The Bible says when I believe that as truth and I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I will be saved, saved from my sins, forgiven for my sins, and be given eternal life. So you may be here this morning, and that's not something you've done. You've just been doing things, but you haven't actually begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have a time of invitation. I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be in a relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and there's something in your life. You've just been wrestling with God and your obedience to Him. And you just need to come and submit that to Him. Maybe just kneel before the Father and submit that to Him. And repent of that. But we're going to have a time of invitation. Nick's going to come and lead us through a song. The song's Yes, I Will. That's kind of where we're at. Yes, I will submit to you. Yes, I will be obedient to you. Yes, I will follow you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and for loving us. Lord, thank you for this incredible high calling you lay upon our life. And Lord, thank you that you, you give us grace in the midst of it and your mercy and your kindness and your faithfulness to us in the midst of sometimes our stumblings and our fallings and, and our disobedience. Father, forgive us in that failure. Forgive us those things that you've weighed upon our hearts that we have just kept pushing to the side. But Lord, you love us too much to allow us to continue down that path. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning who have been wrestling with the things you've been trying to tell them, Lord. Help us to be like Simeon and to be anticipating, expecting, and be ready for what you've spoken over our hearts and to respond to that. For those here this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, maybe they've just been playing the church game or, or, or playing Christianity, but they know they, they're not in a real relationship with you. But as we sing this song, just give them the courage to walk down the aisle and let that be known that they want to be saved. I thank you for this time of grace as we respond to your word. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.